Welcome to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. C.F.W. Walther was a parish pastor, later professor and first president of Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. He was also the first president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. These sermons were preached from 1840 to 1870, predominantly in congregations of the St. Louis area. Unfortunately, we do not know the specific dates and locations of most of these sermons as they have been lost to time. These sermons were originally preached and published in German and translated by Donald Heck. They're available in two volumes from Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. Thank you for listening. The third Sunday in Advent, Matthew 11, 2-10. Grace and peace be multiplied unto you through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Dear friends in Christ Jesus, not only is the world itself a great and glorious miracle of God, but so many miracles take place every day that they cannot be counted. Who can express the greatness of the miracle? that the sun has shone for well nigh unto 6,000 years without lessening or changing its power, its brightness, its warmth. What a miracle that day and night, since the creation of the world, the countless stars traverse their orbits around the earth without even once being displaced in the least. Astronomers can, with almost unfailing certainty, forecast far in advance the moment when the sun or other star will rise over our horizon. What a miracle is this colossal globe hanging freely in space, unsupported by pillars, that it has not long ago fallen into the bottomless abyss of space. What a miracle that the freely moving winds and clouds have not long ago laid everything waste, that despite their apparently irregular interweaving on earth, they sometimes water it, sometimes dry it out, and thus have always kept it fruitful. What a miracle that every year, as we entrust our seed to the ground, it decays, and we see full heads of grain sprouting. Every tree with its twigs, leaves, blossoms, and fruit growing from one seed, every vine with its sweet grapes growing up luxuriantly out of the dry earth, each blade of grass daily unfolding before our eyes is a miracle, whose secrets we can indeed gaze at with astonishment, but which no wise man can explain. These are the miracles of nature, which loudly proclaim that the world is not an accidental, heaped-up mass of raw material, but the living masterpiece of an almighty, all-wise God, in whom we live and move and have our being. And yet, my friends, all the puzzling things that we see daily in nature are only improperly called miracles, really. A miracle is something that cannot be produced in the course of nature and through the powers lying in creatures but only through God, the Lord of nature, through his new, creative, limitless power. That a seed should grow up to be a stalk with a full head of grain and multiplies itself a hundredfold is not a real miracle, because this takes place through the powers that God has already placed in nature. But if by his mere word someone makes a thousand loaves from one loaf of bread, he performs a true miracle, because this is contrary to the laws of nature and surpasses all powers that are inherent in creatures. 
that a doctor cures the sick by using drugs is not a miracle. But if someone with a word cures a sickness that no drug can cure, he performs a true miracle because the simple word is a sign of that which has or should have come. That the sun gradually matures the grapes on the vine is not really a miracle, but he through his, who through his mere word turns water into wine does something for which more power is necessary than found in the whole creation. This again is properly a miracle. Consequently, if we see a miracle, we see the workings of a power that no creature, not even an angel, has. The workings of the Almighty Creator. Every time God sends messengers into the world who had to proclaim something that no man could know, God also conferred upon these messengers the power to perform miracles. In so doing, he provided them with the credentials that what they had said was the divine truth. Therefore, everyone must believe them upon pain of God's displeasure. Today, today's gospel shows us that because of the miracles that Christ Jesus did, he demanded faith in himself. Let us now consider further how the miracles of Jesus prove beyond question that he is truly he whom he claimed to be, namely, the Son of God and Savior of the world. Matthew 11, 2-10. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed and the deaf hear, and the dead are raised up. The poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. The word of the Lord. John the Baptist did not doubt in the least that Jesus was the true Messiah, as many mistakenly maintain. Above all, Christ's last words in our text have the purpose of removing such thoughts from the hearts of the people. And though even John, after he was imprisoned because he confessed Christ, was a reed shaken by the wind. Although John continually pointed his disciples to Christ as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, his disciples took offense at the humble form of Jesus. John, therefore, sent his disciples to Christ with the question, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John wanted his disciples to hear the evidence from Christ's own mouth, and thus be brought to faith in him. Now, what did Christ answer? He said, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Clearly, the Lord refers the doubting disciples, first of all, to his miracles. Therefore, let us today meditate on this. The miracles of Jesus Christ prove that he is God's Son and the Savior of the world. Let us examine the power of this evidence and consider that no person will therefore have an excuse if he does not believe on Christ. We pray. 
Lord God, Heavenly Father, you have not only borne witness to your dear Son through your servant Moses, and whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. You did not only call from heaven to all the world, This is my beloved Son, listen to him. But you have also given your only begotten Son signs and wonders, by which he proved beyond any doubt that you sent him. Oh, have mercy on us, and grant that we may recognize the glory of the works of your Son, that all of us will believe on him and be saved. Hear us for the sake of your Son, our Savior. Amen. A miracle as you have heard, is a work that is produced contrary to the laws of nature. It does not have its power in the laws of nature, but infinitely surpasses the restricted power of all created beings. No creature, no man, not even an angel can make something out of nothing or change the nature of a thing. Only God can. Therefore, we read in Psalm 72, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who alone does wonderful things. Without a doubt, if we see a miracle performed, we must believe that the person has received this unusual power from God. What such a person says and confirms with miracles has the divine seal of being the absolute truth. It is just as if God himself had spoken. No deceit is possible in genuine miracles. The secret seal can be stolen from a king. Men can forge his handwriting. They can make false documents and credentials in order to pass themselves off as empowered representatives of the king. But no man can enter the secret chambers of God and steal the sign of divine majesty. God must have voluntarily given it to him who has it. Therefore, God does not demand that we believe a teaching that no person can know except by God's direct revelation if it is not confirmed by miracles. Christ clearly says, If I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe in me. John 10. How miserable we would be if we had to receive men as God's messengers and their words as God's word if they had performed no miracles. How could we protect ourselves against false prophets? Consequently, Whenever prophets were sent by God into the world with a new revelation, they were also accredited by the divine seal, the powers to do miracles. What amazing works Moses did before the whole nation of Egypt. Even the Egyptian magicians could no longer imitate them with their delusions. They had to cry out, This is the finger of God! Was not Aaron's divine mission confirmed when in one night his dry stick became green, blossomed, and bore almonds? Did not Joshua prove his divine call when at his word sun and moon stood still? And the prophet Elijah, when at his request fire fell from heaven, and the widow's son at Zarephath was raised from the dead? Elisha, when he made solid iron swim? And Isaiah, when he made the shadow on the sundial go back ten degrees? But who can mention all the miracles of the prophets of the Old Testament? Hence, you see, saying that little or nothing depends on miracles related in the scriptures, but only the excellence of the doctrines it contains, is a godless trick, now used to rob the miracles of their divinely attested authority. The very miracles, which no man can do without God's help, prove to us that we are not deceived when we perceive the excellence of the doctrines of divine scripture. Christ's miracles also have a special meaning. He shows two things about himself. First, that he is more than a prophet, namely the Son of God. And second, that he is the Messiah, our Savior, of the world promised by the prophets. 
He says of himself, Something greater than Solomon is here, Matthew 12. I and the Father are one, John 10. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father, John 14. My Father is working until now, and I am working, John 5. For whoever does the Father... For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise, John 5. For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. The Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son, John 5. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, John 14. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is they that bear witness about me, John 5. Once the question, do you believe in the Son of Man, was asked of a man born blind but now healed. He replied, and who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus answered, you have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you, John 9. Thus, Christ witnessed of himself. But would any man dare believe him if he had not proven it by his works? Never. The Old Testament clearly foretold that the true Christ would confirm his office and person with great miracles. Moses said of him, The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Deuteronomy 18. Moses says, like me. Consequently, the prophet of prophets would have to do miracles as Moses did. This prophet excelled all other messengers of God by the very greatness and number of his miracles. Furthermore, Isaiah says that the child of salvation would live up to the name Wonderful. Even more clearly, he bears witness in another passage. Say to those who have an anxious heart, Be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Isaiah 35. It is clear from this that Jesus could not have been the Savior promised by the prophets if he had not performed miracles. He did not let his power to perform miracles be seen only now and then, but he infinitely excelled all other messengers of God by his miracles. He did this, first of all, by their astonishing number. As soon as Christ entered upon his office of teaching, he made entire crowds well. We read that almost every step was accompanied with miracles, and yet those related in the Gospels are only a part of those that Christ did. John expressly says in chapter 21 at the end of his gospel, Now, there are also many other things that Jesus did. Were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the books that could be written. The Jews count 150 miracles in the Old Testament, but Christ performed more miracles than all the prophets put together. The people said at the beginning of his ministry, When the Christ appears, he will do more signs than this man has done? John 7. Christ's miracles excel not only in their great number, but also in their special glory. Full of astonishment, one person confessed, Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. John 9. It was an even greater miracle that Christ could say, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up, John 2. He meant, of course, the temple of his body. He stated that he would rise by his own power. 
In another passage, he said, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. John 8. What divine power and glory streams from these words? No prophet had or ever could speak that way. Christ not only uttered them, but also fulfilled them by making himself alive again on the third day, as he said he would. Furthermore, the unusual variety of his miracles also shows the superiority of Christ. He did them to all manners of creatures, to the evil spirits whom he drove out of the possessed, to the men in every walk of life. He revealed their most secret thoughts. He healed the sick who laid in fever, those with dropsy, the paralytic, those with flowing blood. He made the deaf hear, the dumb speak, the blind see, the lame walk, the leprous clean, yes, the dead alive. And he did this not only in their presence, but often being far away from the sufferer, whom he helped without having to speak to them or see them. Christ also proved his power by doing miracles in other creatures. At his command, the fish of the sea were compelled to gather in one place. A fish had to bring him a piece of money for payment of a tax. Because he blessed them, bread and fish had to multiply a thousandfold. At his word, the fig tree bore no fruit, had to wither. The water had to change into wine. The enraged waves had to cry it down at his threat. The disciples at that time had to say, What sort of man is this, that even the winds and seas obey him? Matthew 8. However, that he did his miracles in his own name, hence in his own power, sets Christ above all the prophets and apostles. He proved thereby that he was the very Son of God. To the prayer of the leper, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean, Christ simply said, I will. Be clean, Matthew 8. And the miracles took place. The dead daughter of Jairus, he said, Child, arise, Luke 8. To the son of the widow of Nain, who was in his casket, Young man, I say to you, arise, Luke 7. And to Lazarus, who was decaying in the grave, Lazarus, come out, John 11. And see, death and decay fled before the powerful word of Christ. Moses could not speak that way. He always said, Thus says the Lord, I will strike the water that is in the Nile, Exodus 7, and so on. Even the apostles had to speak differently. They received their power to perform miracles from Christ, yes, with the command to do them in Christ's name. Peter, for example, said to the lame man at the temple, In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Acts 3. And so, only of Christ can we say, as we can of God the Father. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. Psalm 33. In one more way, Christ shows by his miracles that he is no mere prophet, but is come as the Savior. The miracles of Christ were not as those of many other prophets, which destroyed and frightened, but helped and cheered. With a word, Christ could indeed have smashed his slandering enemies. He could have allowed the godless cities to, that rejected him to be swallowed up. He could have made the seeing blind and the speaking speechless. But Christ's office was not like Moses, which preached damnation. Christ's office was grace. Where Moses turned water into blood, Christ turned it into wine. Where Elisha smoked an unfaithful servant with leprosy, Christ cleansed those who were burdened with it. Elijah called fire down from heaven to fall on the enemies of God. When the apostles demanded the same from Christ, he said, You do not know what manner of spirit you are of. 
For the Son of Man came not to destroy people's lives, but to save them. Luke 9. When in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter cut off the ear of Malchus, Christ healed it in a second, even though Malchus had come to take Christ captive. These are the glorious miracles of Christ, by which he proves beyond doubt that we must believe him when he states that he is the Son of God and Savior of the world. We do not mention the wonderful miracles which for Christ's sake appeared at his birth, baptism, crucifixion, death, resurrection, and ascension. Hence, he himself at all times appealed to his works. He said, among other things, The testimony that I have, I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me. John 5. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. John 14. Christ wants to say, If nothing can convince you, then my works should. Christ's miracles did not remain without great fruit. Thousands were brought to faith in the gospel through them. Finally, the high priests and the Pharisees took counsel, saying one to another, What are we to do? For this man performs many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. John 11. And not only were the uneducated convinced by Christ's miracles, even Nicodemus, a leader of the Pharisees, admitted to Christ, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. John 3. Hence, because of the great miracles that Christ did, no man will have an excuse if he did not believe in Christ. For when in our text, Christ, after the allusion to his works, add, Blessed is the one who is not offended by me, he at the same time is uttering a threat. Unhappy, eternally lost, will he be who is offended by me. Permit me in the second place to add a few words about this. No one can doubt in the least that Christ actually did the miracles that the evangelists relate. They are almost unbiased witnesses. With the greatest frankness and impartiality, they reveal their own faults. Would they have done that had they not been lovers of the truth? Whom could we believe if we did not, want, did not want to believe such witnesses? And why should they not have wanted to speak the truth? Were the apostles benefited in an earthly way by preaching the words of Christ? Or did they not, because of their preaching, have to suffer poverty, shame, persecution, Yes, even the most cruel death. Will a person tell a lie in order to involve himself deliberately in misfortune? Nothing is more absurd than to believe something like that. Christ's miracles did not only take place in secret, in a corner, only before the eyes of his friends, as do the alleged miracles of deceivers. They took place before many thousands of witnesses, often in the very presence of Christ's bitterest enemies. Therefore, when after the resurrection of Christ, the apostles referred to the miracles, no one dared contradict them. If that which the disciples mentioned of Christ had not taken place in the presence of all, would they not have answered them, You lie! Not even the unbelieving Jews could deny Christ's miracles. They are concealed even, conceded even in the Talmud. But in order to be able to reject Christ despite them, the rabbis have invented the childish fable that Christ could under the secret name of Jehovah and thereby receive the power to perform miracles. In the very first century of the Christian era, the heathen wrote books against Christianity. We have them today, 
some in their entirety, others in fragments. But it is noteworthy that none of them try to refute Christianity by denying the truth of the miracles. Rather, they admit that they took place, only that in heathenish blindness they ascribe them to magical powers. How can one deny that a whole nation had seen and witnessed? Even Muhammad acknowledged Christ's miracles in his Quran, so that not even a Muslim denies them. How, therefore, can a person who has rejected Christ excuse himself? What more could Christ have done in order to prove that, beyond a doubt, he actually is the Son of God and Savior of the world? Not only could Christ say, If I had not done among them the works that no one else did, they would not be guilty of sin. But now they have seen and hated both me and my Father. John 15. But Christ has also directed affairs in such a way that to this very day we are convinced of the certainty of his miracles by thousands of witnesses. If Christ had spoken only God's word and not had done God's works, one could yet excuse himself. As a person blind by nature and spiritual things, he would not have been in a position to test and examine the excellence of this doctrine. But everyone, even a child, can and must see the divinity of his works. Even the most simple can and must recognize that no man can with one word make one born blind see. In an instant, heal a body. Yes, awaken the dead. Even the most simple can see that whoever does this must be allied with God. His certified statements must be the truth. The true God himself gives him the testimony that we can believe in him. Yes, should and must believe in him at the risk of his eternal displeasure and the loss of eternal life. Jesus Christ has clearly declared, Whoever sees me sees the Father, and the Father is in me and I am in the Father. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Now, how do those who have not believed that expect to be excused on that day? Christ's wonderful miracles will rise against them, accuse and condemn them. They will have nothing, nothing with which to excuse themselves. And if Christ were only one of the prophets or merely a teacher of the truth, there would still be hope that even those could be saved who had erred in respect to his person and unknowingly rejected him. Christ, however, is the very Son of God, the judge of the living and the dead, the only Savior, the only mediator between God and man. Neither is there salvation in any other. There is no other name given among men whereby they should be saved than by him alone, Jesus Christ, the blessed Son of God and Son of Man. Whoever, therefore, rejects him, rejects his salvation, his bliss, his eternal life, and no creature can rescue such a wretched man. God already by Moses says of Christ, I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers, that is, a prophet who, like Moses, would bring a new state of the kingdom of God on earth. And I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. God says there is still help for him who does not keep Moses' words. But for him who does not receive the word of Christ, the greatest of all prophets, there is no help. Christ himself therefore says, Unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. John 8. Oh, the eternally deplorable fate of all unbelievers! 
Who of us will dare reject the divine seal that Christ has produced, that his word is the truth, and that he is the Son of God and Savior of the world? Oh, may none, none of us permit ourselves to be drawn into the circle of unbelievers. Otherwise, we will someday have regrets, useless and eternal regrets. No, let us with the open eyes of faith take Christ's great signs and miracles into account and say with Peter, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life, and we have believed and from your works and words have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Hosanna in the highest. Amen. You've been listening to Classic Lutheran Preaching, C.F.W. Walther. These sermons are available in two volumes as a part of Walther's Works, Concordia Publishing House, St. Louis, Missouri, cph.org. We thank you for tuning in, and we pray that God's Word has and will continue to be a great blessing in your life.